there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm your man, Chris Mechanic. I'm really, really excited for today's guest. Uh, Today's guest is... um, a hardware engineer turned product marketer. He he's done long stints uh, both Nvidia and Twilio, which are two companies that uh, I have just a ton of respect for. They are some of the best companies in the game. I've owned them uh, myself for many years. Their stocks. Not only that, but he's now VP marketing at Snorkel AI. So he's very much like on the forefront of you know everything happening in ai so the timing couldn't possibly be better ladies and gentlemen welcome to the show devang sachdev hey chris uh it's great to be here thanks for having me absolutely man so excited to be speaking with you today um and you know how we roll here at performance marketing insiders we want the secrets so why don't you just lay it on us right now like tell us one of your biggest secrets to success in marketing specifically Absolutely. And I've, I've enjoyed hearing secrets from other presenters you, you've had. So uh, here, here's mine. Okay. And this is going to be shocking. So get ready for it. Um, so my secret, I would say that this is something that has been a secret for me uh, being successful lately. I wouldn't say throughout my career, but lately it's this little thing that nobody's heard about called chat GPT. <laughs> uh, so I, I just kid because everybody, including people who live under the rock, have heard about Chat GPT. Yeah. I think I think what sometimes sometimes feels like a secret is how do you put it to use for marketing and how do you make the best out of it? That's right. I think I think there's a lot there, and I would love to share some of my ways of using it um, that I've learned from the internet, that I've learned by just uh, try, trial and error. And then um, I'm more than happy to share some of the other tools that I use that are related to ChatGPT or related to what we now call foundation models for marketing. Let's do it. I love it. I think we'll be safe to skip like the what is ChatGPT. I think you know pretty much anybody listening knows what it is, but I'd love to hear about some of the ways that you're using it. And I'll tell you about some of the things we're doing with it too. Yeah, that would be fantastic. So here, here are four or five ways that I've been using it. And, you know, I, I would say that me saying chat GPT is a little bit um, uh, catch-all. I mean, some of these things I use, for some of these things, I also use other tools, other applications. Yeah. Uh, but generally, we'll just use the term chat GPT as a way to say, what are you using generative AI for? Right. Specifically when it comes to marketing. So just off the bat, you know, one of the key things that marketers do often is market research. You want to understand what the market about, what's the who are your customers or prospects, um, and particularly who are your competitors. And a big job for marketing is about positioning against that market or positioning in that market. Mm-hmm. So I have found uh, Chat GPT, especially GPT four, which just got released two or three days ago, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's actually widely divergent in the performance that it delivers mm, uh, compared to chat GPT, which is based on GPT 3.5. Um, the way I use it for market research is I ask very simple questions as to who are the key players in a particular domain. Mm-hmm. And then I would refine it based on, of course, my um, 
um, my knowledge of the field. And then I would ask specific questions as to go visit the website and help me understand how are they positioning themselves? What is, what is their lead? And then how are they differentiating themselves? Give me top five differentiators. But I also ask another question, which is actually oftentimes more insightful, which is what are their shortcomings? I think this can really help you identify what are white um, gaps in the market. And then what I do is I take the same and I do a little bit of mystery shopping. So I, I ask Chat, Chat GPT to do, the, to do the same on my website. This uh, way, I know that one, is my messaging consistent? And, you know, it's a good way of uh, using ChatGPT as a mirror to say, I know nothing about my um, company, my website, my product. And if someone comes to my website and they consume all this stuff, what is a nominal takeaway from all of this? Um, oh, cool. ChatGPT, right? So so tell us a specific prompt. Well, let me just clarify first. So you're going to ChatGPT and you're taking competitor A and you're saying, hey, ChatGPT, tell me what competitor A's five, top five differentiators are. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for example, is that the exact prompt you used? Yeah. It, they're, they're very simple prompts. They don't need to have, you know, any kind of fancy prompt engineering, as it's called, that you are an expert in, in this and that. Um, I, I just go very simple and I say, you know, who are the top five competitors in SpaceX, right? SpaceX meaning, you know, your domain. Mm-hmm. And then um, I try to keep things limited to five because, and, and usually chat GPT responses are anywhere between five, seven, and 10. Yeah. Um, I like to think in the rules of threes and fives. So I'm just, I'm just projecting my own thinking on top of chat GPT, which makes me feel a little bit more in control. Yeah. Uh, we, I'm sure that we all are feeling, feeling less and less of it as, as all these things are coming around us. But um, anyways, I, I asked that prompt and then I drilled down um, and specifically starting with that prompt is also a good way of building trust that, Hey, does mm-hmm. this, thing does this tool does this application understand my domain and i have been surprised not anymore that um how much chat gpt but particularly gpt4 uh delivers a uh develops and delivers a contextual um awareness of the space and the more prompts you ask the more contextually relevant responses it starts creating Mm -hmm. So, so that's the starting point and then once i have five competitors or feel like i have the right five competitors then I start drilling down. Tell me more about this company. What do they do? And it mm-hmm. creates anywhere between one paragraph and three paragraph summary. Yeah. And then I then I talk about okay. Tell me now what are their top five differentiators? Mm-hmm. And then I ask the same question of another competitor, and I try to uh, filter out: Are there any common, you know, um, denominators in that differentiator that are just generic? Like for example, in my domain, I see. Um, interoperability as a differentiator that a lot of companies use. But the fact is that if I ask the same question about one competitor versus another competitor, ChatGPT responds with the exact same response for both competitors, right? Which tells me that it is, it has a signal around interoperability as a differentiator and it's kind of making up the rest of the stuff in context with that space and that domain. But I wouldn't, I would probably discount that as a differentiator, um, for the most part, but certainly I would not include it in my white space because if ChatGPT is already talking about it as a differentiator for two or three of my competitors, that is not something that right. is so highly valuable that I need to also double down into. Right. Or it's not that unique, at least. Or it's not that unique. That's true. Um, cool. Well, that's really interesting because I've heard about people using ChatGPT for market research, but I've never heard of an example that specific. 
Um, and I think what you had, you started saying this, but then turning that lens back on your own company and, and asking the same questions for your own company to see just like how congruent is your message across the site? You know, can a robot go there and like really come back with having heard that message that you want them to hear? So that's a really cool technique. Yeah, I used to, I used to do some of this, um, quite, I mean, I still do this quite frequently, both in, interview settings or in just, you know, uh, familiarity setting or, or learning settings is mystery shopping, right? So when I uh, decide to join a new company, I will go mystery shopping them throughout their marketing and their sales funnel till however, however far I can get to. Mm-hmm. And then from time to time, if we are adopting something new or on, on our front end, um, specifically around the website, then I will go through that path yet again. So we just added a chat uh, capability to our website and i i didn't i i honestly didn't even uh do it as a mystery shopping i just showed up on chat and this you know chat is powered by our um, bdr team mm-hmm. so i showed up on chat and i said hey i want to learn more about your product just to see what the experience is now that this chat is live mm-hmm. and uh one of our bdrs and we have a, we, we are a small team so everybody knows each other but uh, our BDR couldn't tell that it was me. And this BDR is really good at, um, you know, putting out social posts about the company. So I was complimenting him. I was saying that, are you the most prolific social marketer at Snorkel? And he freaked out a little bit. He's like, why is this prospect who's just visiting our site kind of telling me all this stuff? Mm-hmm. We had a laugh about it once he discovered that it was me. Uh, but yeah, I think mystery shopping is definitely a very, I mean, I, I believe that it's an important and a, and a, and a good way of understanding how your marketing is sticking. Can you use ChatGPT somehow with mystery shopping, or that's just like a technique that you use? I I would say mystery shopping in this context is the fact that ChatGPT is reading your website and is giving you some insights about what it learned. I got you. I got you. I'm a huge fan of mystery shopping too. I often do it with clients. I'll fill out their web form and basically see you know, how long it'll take them to call me back or if they call me back or what they say when they call me back. Yeah. So that's really cool. Well, Hey, tell me about, cause you seem to be uh, pretty well versed in the difference between GPT three and GPT four, which I personally am not. Um, And so it's very timely. Can you tell us what you know about the different, the major differences between the two? Yeah. So, so my specifics might be a little bit off, but uh, GPT-3 was released, I believe, sometime in um, 20... November, I think. Yeah. Uh, 2021, 2022? No, 20, sorry, mate. like I said, my dates are mixed up. I think it was released sometime in 2021. And then in 2022, last year, we had November when ChatGPT came out, which is based on GPT-3.5, which is an augmentation on GPT-3. Uh, but GPT-3 is, you know, one of the things about GPT-3 is that it's trained on data that is pre, uh, pre-2021, and it is a 175 billion parameter model. Um, the most things that GP, uh, GPT-3 does is it focuses on text-based input, mm-hmm. right? That's the primary mode or data modality that it works with. And even within that, it's unstructured text that you paste whatever text, doesn't matter the formatting, you just paste it in and let chat GPT or GPT make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is that there are other data modalities. There are more structured data modalities where you have columnar information or you have form-based information that have relationships, spatial relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's something that um, uh, GPT-3 wasn't taking into account. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and there are many applications that you could develop if you had that level of understanding. Like a spreadsheet uh, that, almost. Like you like can, a, couldn't really upload a spreadsheet to GPT-3. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is that there is a um, blurry line between unstructured, which is just plain text, and semi-structured, which is some sort of spatial organization or fully structured text. So it's not as if ChatGPT can't do anything. It just doesn't understand that very deeply yet. Um, mm -hmm. The other data modality that it didn't fully um, have a have a deep knowledge about was um, skill about was images. Right. So those are some of the things that are improving in GPT four. So with GPT four, one of the demos that we've seen is um, um, Greg Bachman, who's one of their uh, co-founders. He took a photo of a uh, paper that he had uh, written a um, front end of a UI of a website on. And he just took a photo of it, uh, hand sketched, and ChatGPT or GPT turned it in. GPT four turned it into an actual website with code underneath it. So oh, wow. that's that's what we call cross modal, which is it's understanding the image, it's understanding mm -hmm. what is in the in the image, and then it's generating things that are related to the task, whether it's text or images. Um, and then the other thing that's unique is um, it's trained or different. It's trained on more recent, much more pervasive data. Uh, so it, it has a lot more contextual information about what's happening in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. But the training is still, you know, a point in time. It's not that it's, you know, always current. Uh, right. There's a lot of retraining that happens to keep it current, but it's always a snapshot in time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and I know that the previous data set ended in 2021, but the new the new training set is up to 2023 or 2022. I, I would imagine it would be sometime in the middle of 2022 because it mm -hmm. does take quite a bit of time to go from just data set to a production version of the, these models. Now, that said, all the interactions that you and, you know, I don't know how many millions of us have been having with chat GPT mm -hmm. is used as its training data as well. So um, that also is continuously fed into it to improve it on the edges. Mm hmm. Well, Devang, I promised you that this would be like 45 minutes, but I think we're going to go like an hour and a half here, man, because I could just go all day on ChatGPT. And, and I'll tell you, I've just started with one of my ChatGPT secrets. I have four or five others. So tell, you know, through, yeah, through, through this conversation, Ooh. maybe I'll pepper another few. Yeah. Lay them on me, though. What's what's number <laughs> two? Um, so I know with ChatGPT or GPT in general, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of excitement, but there's a lot of also fear that if all my content is created now by these bots, uh, what is real and what's not, right? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, bottom line, how does this affect my SEO? Because it can be very powerful or it can be detrimental depending upon what the the, the gods at Google and, and Bing decide, right? Yeah. And, and at, I mean, at the end of the day, that's also user preference based. So what, whatever, however we decide that we love consuming this content or we don't enjoy consuming content or can we even tell the difference, which I think is a lot of interest in people learning that this content has been generated by an automated system rather than um, a full human. But the yeah. way I see it is, you know, it doesn't matter um, where the content is generated, even in the earlier context that I talked about with market research, um, Using ChatGPT, using, as they're called, foundation models, is a starting point. There's always a human involved, and I think that's the best way to think about this technology, too. It's an assistant, and you are going to take its input, but you're going to apply your own 
uh, knowledge, skills to and decisions to to make sure that whatever you're putting out is worthwhile. So here's yeah. a couple of ways that I use it for SEO. So I, similar to market research, I do keyword research, mm-hmm. but I specifically ask for um, the keywords to bro- to be broken down by search quality. So medium, high, uh, high, medium, and low. Mm-hmm. And this helps me understand as to what are the search terms that I could really capitalize on and which are the ones that are long tail. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's still an intentional choice. You can go after low quality, which is low search volume, but they are long tail ones. And if they are very relevant or you have a unique offer in the long tail side of the keywords, then might as well create content for it. So mm-hmm. I go a couple of... Um, uh, steps further. One of the things that Google has been doing lately is, you know, whenever you carry out a search, it also starts listing out FAQ related to that search um, keyword. Yeah. And one of the SEO tricks is, it's not even a trick anymore, but one of the people that do with SEO is just look at that list of questions and then they write articles based on each of those questions, or at least create an FAQ that addresses each of those questions. Yeah. So, so one thing that I do is I will take my own product page or my own company page, I'll paste it into ChatGPT and I'll ask ChatGPT to create an FAQ and responses based on that content. Mm-hmm. And actually it does a pretty good job. And um, it's it's based on my own content with a little bit more external information. And mm-hmm. it gives me in a format that is almost readily usable with a little bit of inspection. Ah, oh, so, that's smart. So that's a really good one. So how do you structure that prompt? Is that all just one prompt? Is it like, hey, use you know, using the uh the copy below or the content below, create an article addressing these questions, and you just paste in like the FAQs that show on the Google. I I I go even more simpler. I just say create um FAQs and responses for this content, and I just paste the content in. Literally copy copied everything from my web page or blog post or company page, put it in. And it starts generating anywhere between five and ten questions that are Interesting. actually pretty, pretty, pretty spot on. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's then, that's really awesome. So you don't actually look at the specific FAQs that Google's serving on that SERP. You just ask it to create like FAQ style content. That's right. And you can do the other way too. It, uh, usually, you would want to look at what is Google delivered and then say, okay, also give me a response for this particular question. I think that's that's fair game too. But this mm-hmm. just gives me a head start at saying, if I had to write a universe of FAQs, what would I go write about? Last yeah. night, like I, I was telling you earlier that um, I had uh, a little bit of a late evening working session and I think I produced 32 FAQs um, across a few different uh, product areas that I that I wanted to put more information out about. So yeah, it's it's, um, it's quite efficient that ways. I also believe that you know, marketing domains or marketing um, uh, for different areas can vary in terms of how technical or not technical your content is going to be. I think the more technical the products get, uh, the ha- the harder time Chat GPT is going to have because that's a very limited set of data that it has learned. So that's where I would say that um, when you ask it to go beyond just FAQs or go beyond summarization of content that you've created and try to create net new content, in that place, uh, in that scenario, you want to um, at least start with 101 content and see if ChatGPT is starting to develop some basis in your domain. 
So for example, for, for my domain, which is related to what we call data-centric AI um, that is powered with programmatic labeling, it is quite technical and it, you know, it's very research-based. It is starting to uh, become a much more known concept, even within mm-hmm. the data science community now. But I wouldn't expect ChatGPT to become an expert overnight. So what I do is I ask it to create a lot more one-on-one content based on the FAQs that I've created. So if FAQ is about, you know, tell me about a particular technique that your product is doing. Now I'll say, okay, write me a, you know, a 1200-word blog post with this outline, and then um, I'll, I'll go from there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you, uh, so once you get that content, what are you doing with it? Are you putting it? You're just well, obviously you're reading it and you'll revise it, you know, yeah. or adjust it, but then you include it on your product pages or you just post it like as a net new page. I, I usually post it as blogs. So th- that's my mm-hmm. long tail uh, deep dive content. Um, but as you know, at the end of the day, it is being more surgical with the questions that you're asking and the content that you're asking to create. I think if you're going to remain high level, it's going to create high level content that may come across as generic. But the more you start using it as an assistant, so if you say that, um, hey, write me um, something basic about data labeling, and then you go from there to saying, you know, what are the different techniques? Um, How is this technique different than that technique? And I think that kind of follows the pattern of curiosity that a prospect may have who's coming to your website, right? So if you if you, the more you start putting yourself in the mind of your prospect and start using chat GPT as a way of uh, inquiry, the better responses you'll start getting and, and the more readily available that content will be to put to use in, in long form or even short form uh, pages. Yeah. And the um, I think in GPT-4, the input field is larger, right? So like you can... Yeah. Because it used to be limited to like three thousand or so characters. Twenty five hundred characters. Yeah. The the what I've heard about GPT four is the, the input and output fields are now what is uh, twenty five thousand characters or, mm-hmm. or tokens as they call them. Uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty. Um, it's much much larger now. Yeah, and that I think uh, opens up because we had been working here internally on a method to take long form content because we have a lot of B2B clients and and mm. a lot of them have webinars or podcasts or even like lengthy white papers. Like they have a lot of long form content. So we'd started using basically a workaround to like chunk it, summarize it and like put it all together so that to repurpose long form pieces into blog posts. Yeah. Um, and we were pretty excited about that. And we had several of our clients were really excited about it because it just gives a lot more like, you know, you could take now one long form piece of content and create theoretically like half a dozen blog posts from it, you know? Um, But that's huge that now the input limit is much larger. So you like, like we could take a transcript of this podcast probably and use it as the base or as the training data or whatever to create all sorts of stuff to create all the LinkedIn posts, to create the emails that are going to be sent out around it, to create even blog posts, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. And, and I would, I would you know, more technically call it just input, right? Because to train ChatGPT would be, or even refine ChatGPT or fine-tune ChatGPT, we would require a different mechanism. But giving it input and having it 
learn from that input to develop an output. I think that's that's certainly um, something that is core to how ChatGPT should be used. A couple yeah. of other ways, you know, what, what you just said around taking existing content. And this content can be um, anything. I have done product reviews that I've posted in because we, we run surveys from time to time. Um, I've done performance reviews as I collect 360 performance from my peers and try to understand a collection of, you know, what what is the synthesis of all the information that I've received. Um, I've summarized tweets. I've summarized emails. Um, I think I'm going to start using it for my um, tax advice to some some degree. Where yeah. you know, if I, if there is a complicated question, I'm going to ask that. What is the scenario that I can uh, I can learn more about? Because you know, tax articles are rather long. And sometimes the details are embedded in a, in a specific example. So that was something that they talked about with GPT-4 announcement too. Um, but one thing I really enjoy, and maybe you might have used this too, is to take our meeting notes or this Zoom call transcript and then turn it into key takeaways, next steps, and, and actions to yeah. help you build the agenda for our next chat, right? And that can be very important, very useful in a sales context. That can be very useful in a project management context. The one mm-hmm. word of caution that I'll I'll say is if you don't want to if you don't want to put anything in public that shouldn't be in public, then you know try using ChatGPT through the API because that ways you could keep your data secure. Um, but if you're going to use the public interface, then expect it to take the data that you're giving it, uh, maybe get trained with it at some point, and and possibly spit it out in a different context where you may not want it to be um, uh, released. So yeah, just a word of caution on that. Yeah, you know, I um, I've never tried it myself, but I heard that you can you can ask it questions like, "Hey, give me Devang Sachdev's email address at Snorkel." Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm gonna try it because I haven't done it. Now, I would say that certainly, as a as any good marketer, you would want to have consent before putting people on your mailing list. Yeah, but I'm sure that it can at least develop some sort of heuristics to understand. I've seen emails, especially from a large account, large company that I've seen emails that are very similarly framed, you know, first name, last name at whatever.com. And um, it it wouldn't be hard for it to produce things like that. Um, You know, what what I found really interesting is um, um, understanding how people write. So Mm -hmm. if you ask ChatGPT for a response, let's say you said, hey, summarize this podcast, right? And you and I have this conversation, so we know the um, the details and and the the depths of this conversation. But if we said summarize this this podcast in the words of Malcolm Gal- uh, Malcolm um, Gladwell uh, Gladwell, that's right, or or Adam Grant, right? They or have, Joe Rogan, or, or Joe, that's right, or Joe Rogan. So you know we we've already seen such um style based approaches applied to image stuff with dali or midjourney but yeah. you can totally apply it to text too and it does create quite divergent um and for me who's now becoming a more and more of a student of language uh when i read those uh comparative summaries then i'm like oh i see i see how uh, Malcolm Gladwell is thinking, and which is why it's shaping the way that he talks. Yeah. And if if I want to talk like Obama, then I better start using some of this word phrasing. You know, yeah, I'm I'm failing at it terribly, but but that's that's sort of my my uh, bucket list list maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, well, I've I've done that as well. Like if you say, hey, um, 
create a LinkedIn post based on this, uh, based on this input. Thank you for correcting my language there. Based on this input, it'll come back with something. Then I like to say, uh, make the sentences shorter, use bulleted list, make it yeah. sound like Joe Ro or put it in the voice of Joe Rogan, like those right. three things as the follow-up and it'll rewrite it and, right. and, like, and do a pretty good job. Yeah. You know, just, just pull in that thread a little bit. Um, I've started using chat GPT to read books and, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you how um, most of the popular books, especially um, in, in sort of your business finance um, marketing domain, uh, they are widely available, and especially with GPT-4, GPT-4 understands them to a good degree. So what I'll start with is, um, you know, just tell me what is this book about? Quick summary. Mm -hmm. Then I'll say, you know, what are all the different chapters? And give me one line summary for each chapter. And then mm -hmm. I'll start digging into the chapters where I'll be like, okay, tell me a little bit more about this particular chapter. So one of the books that I was think I was reading with Chad GPT was called this Atomic, The Power of Atomic Habits. I don't know if mm -hmm. you've heard about that book. Yeah. Um, and it has, you know, very clear organization of its chapters. It has like different framework and each chapter has the same framework um, based on atomic habits. So then I would go into each chapter and I would be like, okay, tell me, uh, you know, a three paragraph summary, expound upon it based on uh, this particular chapter. And uh, funny thing, I ended up reading the book after I went through this whole process with ChatGPT because it did pique my interest and I wanted to get some more color. But if it was something that was just, you know, I want a quick takeaway, I could have very well stopped there and had ChatGPT made me a little bit more smarter, at least for the day. Interesting. Interesting. That's really cool. I'm going to try that for sure. Yeah. I'm going to... Uh and, and Chris, you 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 mentioned that uh, you have a four year old and a two year old. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that you're you're you know you're stretching your imagination when it comes to keeping up with the creativity of your little ones. Yeah, uh, maybe every evening, at least I do, when my four year old is uh, trying to go to bed and asks me, "Tell me a pretend story." So uh -huh. I, I I pull out my good friend Chad GPD and I ask my my son, who's four year old as well. Uh, that okay. Tell me, tell me two characters: one, one human, and one non-human. And then tell me where did they meet, and tell me what mission are they on. And then we create stories with ChatGPT. Yeah. I take take the text that is produced by ChatGPT and put it into a text-to-speech uh, application. There are many on the internet now, and it just reads out in different accents if you wanted it to. So that's, that's kind of cool. cool. That's one of the activities that we like doing from time to time in the evenings. And yeah. Uh, it's it has at least taken off a little bit of load off of my my less creative uh, brain cells. That's awesome, dude. I've never ever thought of doing that in a million years, but I, yeah, I have to make up stories daily. <laughs> but no, I'm gonna try that too. That's a really good one, man. Well, hey, I'm cognizant of time. We could keep going. I want to talk about snorkel a little bit, um, and I have one other question for you, and maybe the two things will collide. But like, I know that like what we're talking about is using chat GPT basically just for your daily, you know, your day-to-day -day job. There's a lot of organizations that are using GPT or otherwise using AI, like in, in larger, you know, more, more impactful ways. One thought that I've had, we have some clients that, you know, they're very large. They get a ton of data. They have live chat on their site, for instance. And they, you know, generate hundreds, if not thousands of, of conversations a day. And they have certain chat agents that are much better than others in terms of like, 
you know, whatever, booking the appointment or, or setting the deal or whatever. Um, so I'm thinking that's pretty structured data. Like we have the chat transcripts. We could see who the rep is. We can, you know, it says you versus the client, whatever. Like it's like semi-structured at least, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking there must be a way to take all this data to input it or I don't know if it's an input at that point or otherwise a train, but basically to take the, take the language that your best reps use thousands of interactions say, yeah. And somehow ingest it into this machine so that you could have, you could have your own version of chat GPT running as a chatbot on your website, but trained to be like your best salesperson, like yeah. your best BDR. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I, I think I think that's a that's a very um, that's a very doable use case. Uh, let me take a small, tiny step back, right? Because I think when it comes to enterprise use of ChatGPT or foundation models, as we call them, right? Um, we're we're seeing a little bit of um, how do I call exploration still happening, and it's necessary because all of these things are very new. And mm -hmm. as you can understand. Um, the world of AI is not new. It's been around for at least two, three decades, even whether yeah. we call it AI or not, right? All of this is just based on data and statistics. And honestly, wherever we are right now and where we are headed, it's going to come down to data. It's going to be all about the data, right? And models are going to continue getting more and more sophisticated. But what is going to um, be necessary to go from a model, which I would call the first mile, to the end application, which is uh, which is what you need. In your case, you're you're talking about this customized, very bespoke conversational application. The last mile is going to be the data that is going to be used to adapt your first mile, which are the models, right? Mm -hmm. So now, if you think about an enterprise setting, um, one, you have a lot of data that is very unique to you, and more and more that data is what is going to become your key differentiator. Even if you are the same company operating the same products, the, the data that you have could be very unique compared to your competitors. Mm -hmm. So that's one. And second, that data is most likely a private data, meaning uh, the risk of having that data be available outside your organization is pretty high for whatever reason, compliance reasons, competitive reasons, security reasons. So between those two things, you certainly want an infrastructure that allows you to use these technologies within your own walled garden, if you want to say, within your own infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And um, some of these technologies are going to be easier to use. So for example, GPT-4 is a huge model. And to have this within your own infrastructure would be a huge amount of cost, right? But there are other ways in which you may not need a very huge model. I mean, if you are trying to build a conversational AI application like you described, maybe you take what ChatGPT or GPT-4 knows as knowledge, but then use it to create a smaller model that is much more easier to deploy on your system that is even more accurate because now it has been trained using your own data and your own task goals, right? In your case, your task goal is learn from this particular agent and then create automated responses in similar scenarios, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so that is the part that is what I would call the last mile is, is starting to become a bigger barrier for most organizations. Um, and the tasks itself are still um, in what I call exploratory stage. 
So mm-hmm. let's say even if you created this application, what you would have to think about is how are you going to monitor that in production, this application is going to continue producing results like your best agent, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, even outside of this world of foundation models or chat GPT, uh, there is a known concept called uh, drift, which is that constantly your data is changing and your model's performance can degrade eventually as it sees more data. So you have to constantly keep retraining it, which requires what we call an infrastructure of monitoring. I am constantly monitoring how my AI is doing and mm-hmm. is it within the bounds of my accuracy limits? Mm-hmm. Now, the, the last point I'll make over here is that in most enterprise settings, and the way that AI has been used so far, it's been used for automation, right? You would think about this as fraud detection in banks, right? You would think about this as triaging uh, patient notes to determine if they have some specific conditions that a doctor should be aware and, and keep in mind as they are interacting with this with this patient. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be about you know analyzing network traffic and determining what corrective actions need to be taken to avoid a hack or avoid uh, you know traffic congestion. But in all of these situations, the need for accuracy is extremely high, right? Sometimes even as high as 99.999%. And it's important that accuracy stays at that point throughout the uh, course that the model is is in production. So so for those reasons, uh, these generative technologies, they need to be... first of all, they need to be adapted to your own data for them to become accurate. Second, there needs to be infrastructure that allows you to understand that the accuracy is going to be what I expect it to be. Mm -hmm. And third, the infrastructure needs to to be accommodating for some of these large models to be turned into more uh, deployment models that are easy for an enterprise to to deploy. Otherwise, the ROI is going to be very hard to, to claim. Um, mm-hmm. Because each of each of the tasks that you are describing, I mean, you talked about conversational AI, but even if we talked about other use cases within a large enterprise, each of those two things could be small models or multiple models of their own, rather than thinking about it as like one giant model that will solve all our problems. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. So, what does Snorkel do exactly? And I know we're coming up on time here, but I yeah, know that Snorkel plays some role in this whole you know, enterprise adoption of AI game, but I'm not totally clear what exactly, what it is exactly. Yeah. That's really yeah. Cool. That, that went by really fast, but um, I'll, I'll give you re- real quick um, details on Snorkel. So Snorkel started as a research project at Stanford. And um, the, the thesis behind Snorkel's project was that um, at the end of the day, the, the models that are being built are going to get more complex and they're going to need more data to be uh, turned into accurate applications. And mm-hmm. the best way to turn this, uh, these models into more um, accurate applications is through the interface of labeling, right? You, you take your knowledge or information and then you tag it based on um, what are the different things that we are seeing in the world. A dog is a dog and a cat is a cat. And um, you know this conversation is a good conversation. This conversation was a poor conversation. So you do these things, um, and for the most part, they were done in a manual fashion. Someone like yourself, who's an expert at conversations, would go and say, yes, that was a good conversation, or no, that was a poor conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a very cumbersome and expensive um, 
endeavor for any enterprise. I mean, you think about building many, many, many applications that adds up really quickly. Yeah. Uh, so, so what Snorkel focused on is how do we take this um, interface of data, training data, as we call it, one, make it programmatic, and two, make it easy for people who have the knowledge to transfer that knowledge into data that can be used to train machine learning models. Mm -hmm. So it started with a collaboration with Stanford Medicine, where we worked with doctors, and we sat with doctors and tried to understand that if they were looking at some patient notes, if they were looking at some um, x-ray images, how would they describe anomalies or how would they describe unique characteristics? We started encoding those into ways in which those could be turned into training data and mm -hmm. thereby started training more accurate models. Where we are now, which is um, eight years into our journey from that initial research project, is we work with some of the largest companies in the world. So we work with five of the top 10 US banks. We work with Memorial Sloan Kettering. We work with um, Schlumberger and many other types of industries as well and several government agencies and do, to, do a few things. One, we help them take a lot of their unstructured and semi-structured data and then turn it into data that is ready for AI use through this mm -hmm. concept that we call programmatic labeling. We are now starting to work with a lot of uh, foundation model companies and companies that want to use foundation models or chat GPT or GPT and adapting them so that these technologies can be put into an enterprise use, things that mm -hmm. I described to you before. Yeah. And then the third is we are producing or we are, we are um, creating this new workflow where the main focus of your team is to curate your data and analyze your results. Because for the mm. longest amount of time, a lot of e energy and effort has been spent on the model itself. And like, like we've talked in, um, earlier too, that the models are becoming more sophisticated. It's going to be harder to tweak and change the model on the fly, but it's going to be easier to edit the model's behavior by having the right input and, the, and, and monitoring the right outputs. So that's mm -hmm. what we call as data-centric AI. And that's, uh, that's, the, that's the part that we are very passionate about we have a conference coming up um, in summer where this is our third year hosting this conference. And uh, we want to we wanna see if uh, folks on your on your show would uh, would, would want to join us there. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, You're in, yeah. It's it's an invite to the conference. It's it's an invite to the conference. It's a virtual conference and um, it's uh, planned for June 6th, 7th and 8th. And like I said, it's our third year. Uh, for the last couple of years, we've hosted this conference and it's progressively grown. So from 2021 to 2022, um, our attendance grew 5x and we're hoping that uh, we have similar growth um, growing growing into this year too, as these technologies just become more and more relevant. Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you for the invite. And um, uh, for the audience, we're going to include that in the show notes, a link to that uh, conference. What's it called? Yeah, it's called the Future of Data-Centric AI. And okay. if you if you want to um, find out more, just uh, it's future.snorkel.ai, and I'll send you the link to Chris so you can include it. Awesome. That sounds great, man. Well, hey, time has really flown here. I want to be sensitive to your time. I know that you've got probably a bunch of stuff to do. Um, if you are listening and you're liking this, check out the show notes for the Future of Data-Centric AI conference coming up June 6th through the 8th. I'll definitely be there. Um, and... Uh, Devang, if you could just let folks know, like the the URL again. Oh, you said future.snorkel.ai. And how can folks find you if they want to learn more about you or have a conversation with you? Yeah, very easy. It's Devang Sachdev at Gmail, which is my email, or Devang Sachdev. At, that's my handle on Twitter. 
also Devang Sachdev at uh, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably the easiest for me, but uh, all of these three things work. And uh, I'll spell it out as D E V A N G S A C H D E V, and and you know that should be that should be good enough for you to find me. Perfect, Devang. Well, hey, thank you very much, man. You enjoy the rest of your Friday, and let's have you back on here soon. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks so much, Chris. All right. Thank you. That's a wrap. All right. Boom. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at performancemarketinginsiders.com. This podcast is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the performance agency that makes you smarter, offering AI-driven search, paid social, analytics, and conversion rate optimization for financial services, health, B2B, and SaaS brands that know. Hey guys, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, you can get a performance marketing assessment for free. And this isn't some cookie cutter automated report. It lays out detailed, specific things you can do right now to unlock limitless growth and nirvana level personal satisfaction. To claim your free assessment, just go to performancemarketinginsiders.com slash audit and you'll have your customer report within just a few days. 